Welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Hello, welcome to Winners on the Way Show. I am your host, Trent Clark. I'm with my friend Carol. Sit, let me help me. Let me say it right. Stizza? Perfect. Stizza? Wow. Woo. You know, like I always take a shot and then all of a sudden someone will say Stiza and I'll just jack it and I didn't want to be that guy. So Carol, so excited to have you on today. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. Tell everybody where they can find you online. I am on LinkedIn with my name, so feel free. And I also have a website, relevant-insight.com. And you can find Relevant Insight Coaching on Instagram and Facebook. All right. So we're going to get some relevant insights today on the Winners Find a Way show. I am super excited to have Carol with me. And it is going to be awesome. For you out there, if it's the first time you've ever joined the show, if you're up against something, facing adversity, challenged, you know, the economy, the politics, my new job, my lack of a job, all those things. You know, a lot of people who are listening to the show, they are on their way to doing something elite they have they see bigger and better things for themselves and they own things they're responsible for people and things in their lives and many often and i think this is the show for you you know we interview one percenters to talk about those challenges and things they face and how we can be even better as we go through this journey of leadership and life and looking to be a success and making the best of ourselves we possibly can be carol you are an absolute expert at, you know, improving, you know, yourself, driving it, getting better at this. Let's introduce you a little bit. Obviously, the CEO there of Relevant Insights and then longtime executive coach started out in the HR world in Colorado now, correct? Mm -hmm. And now born and raised where? Texas. Oh, really? Uh, Texas girl. Okay. Yeah. Texas yeah. girl. In fact, uh, my husband and I met on a blind date. And the only reason I go out with him is that he had graduated from the rival high school of us in football. And he was already on his way in the Air Force Academy. And I go, okay, okay, now I can, I can date you because we're not rivals anymore, technically. Nice. What was those two rival schools? Deer Park High School and LaPorte High School. We were nice. just okay. huge rivals in all the sports that we did. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. And so you meet this guy, Hey, you know, fine. Now we can go out. He's an Academy guy. So, you know, Academy people are serious just for anybody out there. Like it is no joke to get into a, one of our service academies here in the United States. If you're outside, if you're inside the States and you want this, listen, I recommend this to a ton of people. And I don't know if I've seen better facilities at a university than the Air Force Academy in the world. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he played rugby. And yeah, when you visit these academy facilities, you just go, wow, yeah. this is impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tax dollars at work. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty wild, right? And, and of course, listen, a lot of responsibility for these young men and women who are heading into the, our academies, and it is not easy for sure. But what most people probably recognize, may not know all the time, is that signing into academy is probably signing into a life of travel, adventure, journey. These are to be officers in our military and then on to greater and better things and learning and leading, and but typically not in one place. Is that fair, Carol? Very fair. We moved around. I, I Typical military Time. We stayed in for 26 years and moved on an average about every three years, which meant you got to reinvent yourself as the plus one often and kids had to adapt. And so we found sports to be the common thread. We could put them on a sports team and they could make friends faster than if they didn't have that as they're connected, the connector, I suppose. And so it was really advantageous to have kids who were happy to be in sports because that was a lifeline. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's an interesting look at that. I never thought about that, but sports is a great common denominator, right? And, you know, one of the things we've done with our five children is we've homeschooled our kids and we've moved a little bit. You know, I was a pro baseball guy, right? So, you know, we know that world of moving a little bit. And, you know, what I never, I probably never thought about the advantage of being in a very small couple hundred family, you know, person, actually a couple hundred person. And then maybe, you know, how many 50, 60 family homeschool groups, it became very intimate. You got to know the families pretty well. You knew the kids your age, because there was only typically eight to 12 in a class. So, and every year was always a new start to that. And while there was definitely some consistency across the board, it was not uncommon to have new people come in and it was a, it felt like probably a little easier to come in as one of eight than one of 30 into a class, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, we, we will probably never win parents of the year when I think at one point we've moved both our kids in the middle of high school when they had an established sports team and friends. And at one point we actually moved our son right after football season and before Thanksgiving. And nobody cares if you're new when you're not in the football stand. It's yeah. just crazy how we have these openings where we're open to new people. And after that, we're like, yeah, you know, you're not new anymore. Yeah. If you are. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. It's weird, right? So now you study at George Mason, then you head to Colorado State to a little Greeley. That's going to be a little culture shock from Texas and the East Coast. You've seen seen all the coasts now, and now you're headed to the mountains and a master's, and you start down the road in HR, human performance, you know, human engagement, how we do better in the workplace, all those things. And that was a that was a real broad stroke, right? When when you and I came out of university, HR was a lot of lanes, right? And now it's it's very different. Let's talk a little bit about that. Because, you know, self-described, you know, you love coaching up people and teams and engagement and development. And my view of HR is dealing with challenges and a lot of paperwork. Do you see that? I mean, that's my first thing that comes to mind. It is what it it has become now. I think we touched on this when we were just starting to chat earlier is that when I started out in what is now HR, we didn't call it HR. I was training and development. I was hiring and onboarding. I was the office manager who also did these thousand other things. I had a gift for conflict negotiation. I had a gift for working things out between people who were unhappy. And now I find that it all now is under the big umbrella of human resources. And I got to the point, so in in my college and master's, I studied industrial organizational psychology, which is the research and study of how to make people happier at work together. Yeah. Bottom line. And I found that I really liked working with the planning of where do we want to go? Where do we want to grow? Who do we need next? How are we going to attract them? How are you going to keep them here? How are you going to make the leaders be able to lead so that they're they're going to walk in here and they're going to love it? And that was strategic HR. Yeah. Yeah. And now all of HR is a, a paper hungry little entity because yeah. of all the laws and yeah. all of the ways to have talent internationally and have taxes if you have different offices in different states. I mean, it's just a very interesting playground of paperwork. And for those who love paperwork, there is a place for you. Yeah. If you really like to work with people, you got to be really careful about where you step in or if you step into HR because you don't get to work with people as much as we used to, mm. at least in my experience. And I know that there's thousand versions of HR in a million different companies. So I hope that if you love working with people and you're in HR, you get to work with people. Yeah. One of my spaces that I've kind of just seen in my, and this is my own self-study. I'll just say that no data to support this in any way, people, but you know, I've been through a lot of different companies. I find this one of the hardest area to retain people in itself. And I often find a very high value a volume of people to manage per employee. For so, so for example, I say, oh, you have a thousand people working. Like, hey, we have three HR people, <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, like three people are managing a thousand onboarding payroll. Like, they're responsible for all those, you know, nine, ten lanes of human resources now, and there's three to do a thousand. I find it's underserved often. Do you find that same? Yes, simple. Yes, H. Human resources as an industry has really not gotten a lot of support and respect of all the things they're capable of doing. 
They really can be a brilliant strategic partner if you let them sit at the table. And a lot of people don't know how to do that because they think they're just taking care of all the paperwork and you get them in here and then we'll take care of them. But when we have a problem, we'll call you in without any context Yeah, and you fix it. And it's not, it's an underutilized scope of talent that I think a lot of HR professionals are really trying to change. I find that when I coach leaders, one of my very first questions is, how well do you know your HR department? How well do you know who's running and keeping track of all the surveys, all the things that you want to collect as data as proof? How well do you know them? How well are you using them? Are they at the table with you? Have you had a conversation with them about how happy your people are outside of your domain? And it's 50-50. Some are really good. And those are the people who really have some really strong leadership foundations. And then there's people like, what? I'm supposed to talk to who? <laughs> I don't even know who runs that department. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, we have I one? know. It's bizarre. There is a broad spectrum how this works and how it becomes important. But I think from my Sherm friends, right, all out there, I mean, I feel like they have worked harder than most to move ahead and, and a, with a lot of responsibility and often not exactly feeling warm and fuzzy and encouraged in their work, right? And uh, it's a hard job. It's a hard role. It can be. It can be a joy. There are brilliant bright spots, but there are some non-joyful parts of it. So there's a small company and they have an HR department of one. That person needs a lot of love and support and care yeah. to grow and understand. And what they, I think what I find really intriguing is that people at the top forget to convey to the HR department what their strategy is, what their bottom line goals are, and includes HR in understanding how to meet all those bottom line goals. A business is in business to care about their bottom line. That's 100% what they care about, but they don't convey that they want every conversation to be tied to it. And a good HR person should be able to say, okay, if we need three more people Here's the salary that's going to be competitive. If we can pay the competitive salary and they do the work that that we're hiring to do, this is how it's going to help our bottom line. Mm. If we can include that part of the conversation, they will get more visibility. Yeah. Big itty right there. Big itty of visibility. And I think we lose that, right? I think there's a lot of organizations that lose that part of it. And then, you know, and then I think we're going to jump into this next thing of a couple of things of expectations. You know, I, I think expectations are awesome and dangerous. <laughs> they are awesome for me when we're, when we're communicating those well, doing that, getting clarity around those things. And if left to our own devices, at no fault really of our own, it's that if you ask five people their expectations of how to grow the company, you typically get five different answers, right? Like it's like, hey man, this is what I'm thinking. Where from my seat and from my vantage and from my viewpoint, this makes sense. And so everyone's going to come at that from their own experiences as well and, and their own training and education about that. And I think that's a challenge because some leaders, if you can't and don't communicate that, as you said, about where you're going and, and doing this together, bad things. Yes. To your point about expectations, or asking several people and getting several different answers. When you get several different answers, that is a huge flag of opportunity to sit down and say, are these expectations connected to one goal and we just have a different lens? Or are we really talking about five different conversations? Because if it is five different conversations, we're not going to get there very fast. Yeah. And there are really some interesting ways to have those conversations that actually create trust and transparency on executive teams that don't get utilized enough so that they're all walking out going, cool, we're all on the same page. We all have the same play card. We all have, we got it. We know the plays. I think we get caught in the day to day and we normalize dysfunction so that we don't see it, so that we think it's okay to have those five separate conversations. I'm real big on calling those on the carpet so that we can actually have commonality and expectations so that everybody who hears everybody talking all the way down are on the same page too. Yeah, that's a big deal. All right, well, we're going to come back a little bit to that. But first thing, you know, one of the things that most people don't know about you, Carol, that I got a kick out of is that you had a professional water skier career for at least like five minutes. And I am thrilled by hearing this because I have a couple of good friends over in Milwaukee and they toured Europe on a, on a professional skier tour after college. They were both 
college level skiers and a whole world of entertainment that I never knew existed actually. And, and they're both like fabulous. Even like now they're really good. One's the CEO of a company and he's, he's still great. He's on his lake, you know, the five 30 in the morning when it's glass and he can barefoot. He's amazing. And you know, he's always like drive the boat. I'm like, man, I'm scared. Like he's so good. I'm going (laughs) to kill him or something into a dock. So it's really impressive. Tell us a little bit about your blush uh, of your water skiing professional career. Everyone thinks of Texas when they see professional water skiers, by the way. Everyone well, because there's so many lakes, right? All the man-made lakes that, that we assume were real. And we're like, oh, they're not real. I grew up with a brilliant uncle who had a, a lake house. My dad was a big sailing kind of guy. And my uncle was the lake guy. And he was so good at getting up and making all the kids get up at five in the morning. So I learned how to water ski every summer and I loved it. And I was a junior in high school and I'm in track and I'm cheerleading and band and anything I could do to stay at school with all my friends, I did, uh, needed a job. And I had a group of friends that were all carpooling to Astro World, Houston, Texas. Yeah. And we like, woohoo, we're all. We're <laughs> Is that next to the Astro Dome? Is that really like yes. close? Uh, yeah. Okay. It's now a parking lot, sadly. Yeah. It's no yeah. longer, but it was there. And I walked by on my way to running the bamboo shoot ride, which was brilliant because I could leverage how wet people got. Felt very on top of the mountain on that one. And I saw water skiing and I go, I know how to water ski. Let's, let's do this. So I walked in and I said, I would like to be a part of the team. They said, brilliant. We don't have a whole lot of people who do that. And I trained in the world's smallest water ski pond um, that was ever built in history, apparently. <laughs> and I was... Five, one day, one night's sleep away from my big debut. You know, you got the flat skis, you got the wave, pyramid practice, all that stuff. And I showed up to work and the our illustrious boat driver had decided to get high and drove the boat into the wrong side of the ramp. And there went the careers of all the water skiers because the liability, you know, the attorneys just blew a top and they decided to turn it into a fireworks pond immediately following that so they didn't get sued and just like that poof like a firework my lovely water skiing career (laughs) went up (laughs) that's classic well darn it you know we would have been having a whole other conversation you know right if we weren't talking about this and conflict and a happier workplace (laughs) and managing expectations we'd be talking about you know human pyramids on water. Well, to your point, I do have friends who are brilliant water skiers still, and we get together and I marvel at the technology in boats today. Oh, yeah. And right? how different a boat can be. You know, if you want to wake surf, you've got to have a different ballast. If you want to water ski, you probably just might just get a different boat. And he has all the toys. And so we still get out there and water ski, and he's still giving me tips and tricks. And it's just, it just makes you feel young again to get out and yeah. do the sports you did growing up. Yeah, until you take a bad fall and then you go, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> like, man, I'm not young I'm anymore. Just... <laughs> I, I do that all the time. And I'm like, hey, let's wake surf. Let's go. And then I'm like, I'll take a hard <laughs> fog and hit with the board or something stupid. And I'll be like, I, I keep writing like checks my 53-year-old body can't cash. You know, like I'm like, <laughs> man, I'm not 22 anymore, but I love it. Still playing hockey, all that good stuff. So yeah, let's let's get into a little bit something, you know, when we talk about the show, we talk about shows founded on a quote named after a show from our book called The Four Disciplines of Execution, where I read in it from Chris McChesney, winners when shown data that they are losing, find a way to win. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we run into these things as challenges in our life. Talk to me about, you know, as as a younger person, some of the challenge or one of the challenges you faced that you were like, man, I don't, I don't know if I really want to even try to manage this. It's frustrating, you know, recovery, like whatever it is. Talk to me about one of those things that you face and, and how you manage through it. Well, it's a buffet to pick from. <laughs> yeah, um, right. A smorgasbord of, of issues. Yeah, smorgasbord. Yeah. I like to your point, you know, when people think people just show up and it's been an easy road, they have no idea the chapters in the book you have just, you know, right. been reading. Yeah. And I had, I did suffer in three different car accidents. I all stopped by turning left. I don't, I'm not scared of driving. I just don't like left turns. And, you know, the first one I lost, you know, some family members that were very pivotal in my life. When I was 17, I was an athlete and I had to relearn how to walk and function and, you know, 
breathe, collapsed lungs, and just lots of, of wow. injuries. And the the last one, I was with my son. And I think while you can handle what you suffer very much easier than somebody listening could, it was when I needed to take care of my son's healing that woke me up to how to teach attitude, choice, mm. choice of what you do with what you're given, even when it sucks. And then, you know, like many in life, as we continue to brilliantly stay here and, and age, I did get a very surprising hard cancer diagnosis. And while it's it, bad news sucks, just like bad data, when you get data, you're losing. Yeah. It's no different. That's data. And you have to figure out a way to win. You have to go, okay, how are we going to deal with this? And I'm that person who goes, okay, let's figure out what's going right. And they go, wait, 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 you have cancer. And you want to know what's going right? And I go, yes, I want to know exactly what's going right. Because if you can concentrate on what's going right, then you know what to stay doing. And then you know where to grow. And so we have a choice of how we look at everything. How do we handle our mentality? How do we, what do we put in our bodies? What do we do with our bodies? When it's trying to fight its hardest. And throughout each of those, I had a, a brilliant man who's a fellow speaker who asked me, who did you get to become in the best way because of each of those events in your life? Mm. And that is a great question. Great question. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. because you don't think about it. They all like, poor me. Almost yeah. another one of those challenges overcome. Oh, yeah. How can I make this into a great story? I said, that's not the story. The story is who you got to become in a good way because of how you handled something that stunk. Yeah. And I looked back and got to say, oh, you know, like, for instance, when I was 17, I was hit at a left turn intersection by a very overzealous fellow teenager who just got her braces off. Mm. She's just hurrying home and she sweeps around a truck and overcompensates and gets in my lane and boom. I heard when I was in intensive care and the room's dark, I heard someone say, oh yeah, I heard the other driver just said that they never saw her. And I go, it just, wow. I now know how literally painful it must be to feel invisible. And it just hit me to the core, how hard it is if you feel invisible. And so after that, when it was a long recovery, but when I finally got back into school, I made it my mission that I was going to smile at everyone I saw because on my watch, I wanted them to know that someone saw them that day. Yeah. And it was just one of those things that came out of that among you know many, but that was a core mission for me. Yeah. When I was talking to Nikki here, he was on my show, Canadian, real motivator. And, you know, he said something really good about this. You know, it's not, it's not happening to you. It's happening for you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, like, Hey, wait a minute. Like if it's happening for me, what's the benefit? What should I be taking from this? I mean, what, what a great takeaway, right. Of seeing like, wow, there are other people who actually feel invisible yeah. i became invisible in this moment i mean by the way like seeing this kind of thing with these left turns i mean i'm serious i, I would i would i would map all my routes so they're right turns i'm like hey we're just gonna go all the way like, I, I would yeah. be like i'm the only right turn guy heck with nascar i'm right only all right like i'm not doing That's any right. of it you know, like it's, it's crazy fortunately nascar doesn't have to cross traffic you know it doesn't have oncoming but nope it's, but that's, I mean, it's so significant and it's amazing that, you know, obviously we've all had friends that have been affected by an automobile accident, which is by the way, extremely common. You know, I often have to, because I've flown so much in my life, right. And I was definitely scared of it as a kid. I have to laugh when people tell me they're afraid of flying. And I'm like, you drove here today, right? <laughs> like there's so much more risk in that than like, oh my gosh, like you've already surmounted like the biggest risk of your life this morning by getting here. Like this is going to be easy now. Like you don't even know. And uh, so, you know, talking people off that fear and I, I get it, the heights, I, I do get the, you know, the fear, but this is pretty, you know, serious, you know, a family member lost now as an adult on this third one, you actually have a child that's affected. And, and I really identify with that as, you know, having a guy who, you know, I went through seven surgeries, you know, the athlete, you know, you're under the knife, like pretty ah. regular and you just get healed in accidents and broken leg and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's different when it happens to somebody you love and, and it happens to someone you care about, you've been helping and it feels a little helpless. Like, Hey, like I can't, 
help walk for you. You know, I can't help you get in the right mindset for you. Walk me through a little bit of that challenge. It's, you know, when you've got a young, he was in sports, baseball had just started and he had such a bad concussion and had hit the interior of, of a part of the car so hard that we thought one leg was growing longer than the other. That's how off kilter his body was. Wow. And I had a friend who was sadly divorcing a chiropractor, but I figured she'd be a good person to call because she'd give me the straight skinny on who to go to. <laughs> and this was back when the insurance wouldn't cover chiropractor care. I mean, this is, you know, a little while back before they really understood holistic body care for just the average Joe Schmo. So we paid out of pocket for him and I both to go to a chiropractor, but he had to give up his baseball season because the baseball coach just wasn't really empathetic. He didn't really understand my son's injuries. We didn't understand how extensive his injuries were. And my husband was really disappointed because he loves baseball. And the other sport was soccer, which my husband had never played. So suddenly my, my husband was kind of grumpy that he'd had, and, and my poor son stuck in the middle, right? So you're, you're having to look at this like, okay, we can only control what we can control. How do I help him feel in control of something right now? And it was just, how can we be in control of how you think and how you feel and what you do and what you choose? Because you can only control what you can do. And it was just kind of helping the mindset of it's an attitude. We will come out of this. It's how we choose to respond that defines us and makes us better and makes us stronger. And we will find solutions all the time. So it just was a different way to think about it all because now I'm coaching, literally coaching my son and how to think about this while we're getting chiropractic care, which was very new and, and just a whole new ball game so to speak, but without baseball. And that was, that was a hard sacrifice. He didn't, he never went back to baseball after that. I think it was kind of one of those doors that closed in his head and we just couldn't get it reopened. Mm. He's, he still was an athlete. He played soccer and, and really enjoyed that. But it was just a, it's when you look back at yeah. those little moments. Yeah. It's, it's intriguing. Right. And being a baseball guy and having five children and four boys, right? Like everyone's like, Hey, all your kids are going to be baseball stars. Right. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Like, that's fine. Whatever they want to do, yeah. you know? And they don't, they all play hockey. One of them, one of them plays a lot of baseball, <laughs> but so it's interesting. Like there's a lot more choices for kids now. And that's very different than when I was growing up. And so it's cool. And I'm, you know, I'm a little bit excited and disappointed in the same idea that there are now more kids playing soccer in the United States than baseball. And I really get I it. I mean, I think that, you know, the first time and we want to, you know, set these kids up for, you know, triple A level baseball when they're seven years old. And I'm like, I just don't know why we're not <laughs> playing T-ball till they're 14. Like, let them hit it a mile and have fun, you know, and kids get I hurt. Love that. And then they're like, I don't want to play anymore. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. You yeah. know, like kids are throwing hard and you got hundred pounds and a foot and a half discrepancy between the kids and it's Gaga, right? And so they haven't navigated that development very well, I don't think, but you know, all learning, we're all learning. So, so let's kind of pivot to a little bit of your day to day, you know, when you're really talking about organizations, you know, it's funny because I love Patrick Lencioni's the five cohesive behaviors of a team, right? Love that. And, you know, I just find like, it's hard to get teams to work together. Well, I mean, it is a real hard thing. And, you know, I think one of the reasons leadership exists is because a, most people didn't go to university for leadership and now they got to run these organizations. Right. And then the second thing is, is, no one went for coaching either. And now you got to coach a bunch of people up on, hey, what does a team look like? And how do we come together? And how can I guide you to be a great contributor right in the role you're sitting in? And, and from an HR perspective, there's a lot of that happening. And it's perceived as they're not trying to help me. They're trying to tear me down and hurt my career. And, and it really feels negative when they talk to me. And it's woe is me. And I, I need a solemn meeting with HR because someone yelled at me and got mad at me for not living up to my potential. <laughs> right? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, you know, I could just imagine as a coach in the major leagues yelling at a guy and saying, this is like, this is what we expect from you. We want more from you. And you know, I'm here to come alongside and build you up to the best you can be. He's like, well, I'm taking my ball and going home. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> so it's really hard waters to navigate. 
So tell me a little bit about, I really worked hard to learn how working happier together looks. Give me a synopsis of what you've learned. Well, like you have said, when winners look at data that says they're losing, they find a way. And so one thing that I found brilliant was collecting data, using data. And I don't mean surveys. I mean, we've seen surveys upon surveys. If you don't know what they're going to do with the survey, the survey is meaningless half yeah. the time. What I'm talking about is assessments. And there's been some really brilliant strides in the social sciences of how to do 360s in a way that is, it feels very equitable, not yeah. critical. Yeah. There's one of the assessments that I like allows a leader to pick and choose their people in their 360 and they are getting assessed at how frequently they see a behavior, not their opinion of the behavior. And so frequency is a data point. Are they seeing enough of this? Are they seeing more of it than you think they are? Or are you thinking that you're showing more than they're seeing? And so that is a kind of a really cool, equitable data point that we're looking at frequency of experiences versus opinion. So then they'll take that data going, okay, I can work with that. I go, yes, we can. Mm-hmm. So when I am trying to get a team to be more cohesive, I like to work with a leader first to see where they are, what they want, where are they in understanding their team. But then when I do a team, a lot of times I'll do an assessment based on their individual talent, their individual strength. I, I have a saying that I repeat often. I said, nobody gets up any one day going, today's the day. I cannot wait to suck today. Yeah, I'm going to suck so bad. It's yeah. going to be brilliant. No. Everybody gets up to be their best self. So if they're getting up to be their best self and that you're still talking at things at 90 degree angles, it's only because we don't know how to value what they're bringing to the table. It's just like when you put a team together, they have to get to know why they're each on the team. What talent is going to make them so special in this team that we need to support them so they can support us. Yeah. And so I like to use points of data that allow people to feel valued, to get to know who they are, to embrace what makes them unique, because a team is a lot of unique unicorns. We have a herd of unicorns. They've been told, you're special, and then yet they have to work on a team with other unicorns that have been told they're special. You are all special. It's your uniqueness that we need to value as part of the team and let you know exactly why you're here. So it's it's trying to get away from groupthink and yet let a group of individuals understand how to value the individuality for the group goals. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and I think like we've talked about a little bit, which is athletics is a great dichotomy of this, right? You know, it is. If, if you have the players, everyone has a role on the team, yet the team goal is all unified, hopefully, <laughs> right? In right. good ones. And you're moving in this direction, but you know, people's role inside that looks very different, you know, on, on the daily sometimes too, that can change from day yes. to day. It, it can be more important, your role on certain days and other days. And we call on that and tap on that player or that person to, Hey, today, you're a priority here in this for us to be successful we really need you and your role to really shine through and that may be them managing other people inside that role and so yeah i think it's it's always a great learning lesson of how sports become successful and i think most people have an opportunity to be a part of a group and even if they're not an athlete because i think there's a lot of synergies in band and um, and certainly the orchestra in in acting in drama club in um you know when you're doing math clubs and math competitions i mean yeah there's an individual that does great but like we are taking all the team's numbers right so as we improve at this and we are putting people in certain areas and we've all had to go listen and sit through our children i'm not i don't know about all of us okay for those of us who are parents have sat through the junior high orchestra concert oh, right gosh. and wow That is really, you know, never have I applauded effort more because we don't have a high quality finished product. And that's great. Like understood, right? And it's imagining how hard it must be who someone who has a degree in this, who studied music theology, right? And everything that's going there and music theory. And now they're going, oh my gosh, I'm going to get all these sixth graders to come together and actually play something decent. Right. And uh, not easy. And then, and then you hear like, you know, the Philharmonica, right. And you're like, oh my Mm -hmm. goodness, like, wow. 
when this comes together, like this is like a sound I've never heard before. And of course, you can't just be like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to be over here on, you know, the baritone sax being whenever I want to play. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. You just can't come in whenever you want to come in. Right. This is very highly orchestrated movements as a team that makes it sound so good. And 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 I don't always think that organizations understand how they fit into that, at least the individuals inside that organization. Yeah. A lot of times I'll use the analogy of, you know, when we go to a superheroes movie, the Avengers, you know, yeah. I said, there's no redundancy on a superhero team. I said, but there's no, and there's no redundancy here either. So we need to understand what your superhero powers are and when they're needed, when they're called on and the leader, his, their, she, her, they, their whole goal is to understand how to get them to be harmonious, like an orchestra where you they work so seamlessly together, they look like they are so cohesive and connected. But yet when you start to really look at it, you know which part they're playing and how easily they can change to that part to be more significant when it's needed. Step back, step in, step out, step to the side. Yeah, It's a dance of talent. And when I position it that way, it sounds all you know, s'mores and roses, whatever trips or trigger there. But it, and I go, no, think about it. We are going to identify what your superhero power is on this team. And then you get to decide if that's where you really want to be. There is no redundancy on a superhero team. There's not any redundancy on any teams. Mm. And I have to kind of really push and let that sink in so they know I'm really serious because a leader has their talents too. They have to know when to step in and step back too. Sure. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I, you know, as you describe that, I think about a couple different things. You know, the first one was a stadium where everyone holds up a color and you're like, Hey, we're holding up a color. Isn't that cool. But the blimp up above the stadium's like, Whoa, check it out. Like there's a picture that's yeah. being sold through the whole stadium. You're like, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. That's an amazing pattern or kind of montage of thing that's now looks incredible from, from 10,000 feet. Right. And I also have a cousin who's an artist and he made this beautiful picture and people walk into my house and it's actually a picture of Jesus, which is incredible, which is incredible. And so you see it across the room, you're like, oh, that's a really cool photo. And then when you walk up next to it, all the story of Jesus is little pictures of little stories of Mm. the Bible, like, you know, them lifting the man out of the house to be, you know, hey, he's got to see Jesus. We got to drop him down in so Jesus can see him. And, you know, all these little things, you know, the story of, you know, being flipped onto the shore and from the whale. It's just, it's incredible how many little biblical stories. I think there's 32 stories tied into this photo. And so it's kind of that, wow, that view from very far is very different when up close. And I love that idea of how do you get that? So when you're educating an individual on their value, that there's really no redundancy here, how do you do that best as a leader? Because that's not an easy thing when Hey, I'm, I'm one of 20 in the marketing department. <laughs> you know, like, I, know, I get that, right? But you're running social or you're running this or this campaign. Talk to me about that. So to lead into that, what's really cool about educating leaders on how to do that, I get to tell them about the brain. And in neuroscience, they've revealed that the brain is always scanning the universe for just two things. Where do I fit and where do I grow next? Basically, what am I doing right And where can I learn next? And we're just scanning the universe all the time. I want to know what I'm doing right and where I can grow. That's why social media is such a, so addictive. You'll scroll things you like. And then when you see something that interests you, like, Ooh, how can I learn more? And Mm -hmm. you just continually do that. It does have its dark side because you go, I really want to be like that. And I don't think I can do that. And then you self, you self criticize. That's the, the, you know, blessing and the burden side of that blessing. But as a leader, if you know that every single person in your organization, including you, is only wanting to know, first, what am I doing right so I don't throw the baby out with the bathwater when I go to a new training? And where can I grow next? As a leader, that's how you get to talk to people. Hey, here's what I see you really doing well. And here's how I see it when that's done well. And because you're doing that so well, I think this is a new area for you to grow. Those are energizing conversations. And when you can spot those things, a leader can talk like that then if there is anything that needs correcting, that needs toning down, elevating up, person is going to hear you better because you've shown them what they're doing right. You've shown them that you know where they can grow 
And oh, by the way, we can't talk about this to your, you know, this other person, because that's kind of against all the, the DEI initiatives we're doing. Oh, okay. So stop doing that, but keep doing this and learn here. That becomes an easy exchange conversation because you're letting them know what to replace it with when you tell them what the, the, where they can grow. And I think we all get stuck wanting new information by asking the same old question. We have a very bad habit of saying, how can I improve? That is the wrong question. So anytime somebody asks you that, what they really are asking is, what am I doing right? And where can I grow next? They just don't know how to ask for that. They've never given themselves permission to ask for that, but that's what they really want to know. So when I get to work with leaders, I said, when anybody comes to you and says, oh, well, how can I improve? Here's what they really want to know. They're not broken or need fixing. So don't try to improve them. They're not a machine or a clock that's not ticking. It's just the only question they've been conditioned to use. Here's what they really want to know. So why it's up to the leader to change the conversation. And when they do, everybody goes, oh, they see me. They value me. I'm in it. They care. And that is what builds retention. People will stay for the relationship with their boss over everything else. Interesting. And I I think we see that all the time, right? Like we see people that they do not leave the organization. They're leaving a boss that doesn't make them feel valued, doesn't make them feel like they matter, isn't appreciative to what they're offering, doesn't coach them up. Like there's all these little things. And I think that's a really strong point. Let's let's get into the next thing, which automatically comes. Well, before we do, you have a couple, what's your favorite kind? I mean, there are great assessments now, right? There are great stuff. I love Enneagrams. I love it. I've enjoyed that. I love the 360. I like to call the 360 like a tough workout for people that I'm about to give a 362. This is like us going to the gym or going on a tough hike and we haven't been hiking, right? It's right after winter and you haven't been outside much. And all of a sudden we're going to go on a seven, eight miler. Guess what? The next day we're sore, right? Like it's like, man, I'm a little sore, but Hey, in a couple of days it's over, right? Like I'm a little sore, but like, I feel great. We went out and did something. We feel better about ourselves and what a beautiful, you know, view we took up in Colorado, Carol, and you feel better about what you do, but you hurt a little bit. Right. And so I like to let people know, like it might sting a little bit because people are going to actually be real honest about what they see. And because you don't see it the same, that's a little hurtful. And uh, so I like to help people get prepared. That's kind of my way of you know, yeah. get prepared for what's about to happen here. So do you have a couple of favorite assessments that you think leaders like, hey, a couple that are, you just think are invaluable? Like, hey, if you're going to really know your people, you better get into this mm-hmm. and help them know themselves. That is a, an easy and difficult question to answer. So the academic answer would be every assessment has an agenda. What is the goal? So match the assessment to the goal. That being said, and I, I want to respect all assessments that have been created because they've been created for a specific point. No one assessment is a panacea. So the other answer is one of my favorites. I find that really good conversations need to start somewhere. And so I like to start with a, the full Clifton Strength Finders because the full Clifton Strength Finders taps in your top 10, but it also taps into your bottom five strengths. And they've researched, which is now over nine decades in, in every country and every language, views the strengths as the way your hard drive is wired in your brain. Strengths are like real estate. So there's not a strength and a weakness. You have strengths, but each of those strengths has a dark side. Yeah. If you push it too much or you think that strength's going to work everywhere, that's where you're going to get some pushback and criticism. So I like to start that conversation because it allows them to see how unique they are because nobody's duplicated in that assessment. There's no two yeah. people. Even I've coached twins and it's been so cool to see where they are alike and where they are opposite because that's where the conflict is. But when we look at the least real estate strengths, that's where conflict is caused because somebody else has that as a top strength. They're using it. You don't appreciate it. So it just is a great conversation to start about how to value someone's individuality and understand their natural tendencies or natural gifts or natural superpowers. When I'm working with a leader who is leading a team and wants to really get a good photograph of where they stand, I like the leadership circle profile because it has captured the 18 leadership characteristics that are positive characteristics for leaders and the 11 reactive leadership characteristics that we get to talk about where they came from because they served you well earlier in your life when you had little less control. 
And now we have to shift you into the 18 characteristics of positive leadership. And the, it's that 360 that only assesses on frequency, not opinion. And I think that frequency gives energy to change. It has to challenge you or it won't change you. We know this. Yeah. And so I look at assessments that will help somebody appreciate who they are and challenge them at the same time. And there are there's a positive intelligence, there's a, um, a behavior intelligence. I like things that allow people to think differently by also understanding what to value about themselves and what they see as what they would like to challenge themselves in a new growth area. So Enneagram, there's many, many brilliant assessments. It's what is your point? Where are you willing to start? And what do you want to get out of it that makes me pick the ones that will work? Awesome. Let's talk about a little bit, you know, we, we, you touched on a little bit, you know, what to do when things get hard. I mean, we have a choice in our way to get, how we're going to take that information, you know, and I think, I think there's a lot of choice. Athletics is another good example of this. Like, Hey, you're losing by 25 points at halftime of the basketball game. You have a choice like, Hey, we can go up and give up the second half or, you know, we're going to do something differently and try some different things and continue to work hard and, you know, show some pride and, and work better as a team. And, you know, the choice is ours to make of how we respond to this data. And the data is not great, right? In fairness, like no one wants to be down 25 and a half. And we get that, right. right? That's not, this isn't where I was hoping for this morning when I woke up. I was like, man, I hope the game goes well and we're down 25 at half because what a great story it'll be when we come back. Like most people don't think that starting out their day. So talk to me a little bit about choice and conflict. You know, what do you see in the conflict that could be different that I think we're, we're maybe missing in today's world and in our, in our business and our work life? I think we're missing the perspective first that blessings and burdens are buy one, get one. If you think it's a burden, you're, there's a blessing in there. If, you're, if you think it's a blessing, we need to look at the burden. And so when stuff gets hard, when the data is not going in the right direction, when your best talent just quit, when you've got a boss who is handling so much on the outside in a personal crisis that you can't bring or she can't bring her best self into the office, we have a choice of what we do in those moments. And I think we forget how much choice and power in choosing we actually have. We forget to give ourselves permission that we can choose every minute yeah. of every day how we see the light and the situation in front of us. So when I get the opportunity to talk about the power of choice, I get to remind people that they have it. It's like a super secret weapon they didn't know was sticking out of their back yeah. pocket every minute of every day. Yeah. And I go, what are you going to choose? And they'll go, oh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think I, it's, here's what's happening. And here's what's happening. I said, uh-huh. And what are you going to choose? How are you going to look at it? How are you going to respond to it? What is the blessing? What is the burden? And just asking people to stop and think like that gives them grace to breathe and acknowledge it and go, I have a choice. Yeah, you do. You're not a victim. There are a lot of people who fall into victim habits. Mm -hmm. We get to remind them that, no, being a victim is a choice. Are you choosing to be a victim? If you are, that's your choice. You don't have to. It's good stuff, Carol. Give me one more thing before we go here. Do you have a quote? Do you have something that like when you've got that data you're facing and you're like, oh, this is not what I was going for here. Like not what I wanted to hear. You know, all these things. Is there something that you read or that you kind of, that can level you out in a hurry? Something that you go back to that says, hey, this helps me make that choice or whatever it is. I ask myself, what is going right? I'm not dead. It can start just there. Great start. <laughs> Great not start. Dead. Woke up. Not dead. Okay. Mm. I'm not dead. Oh, forgot. But mm. When we ask ourselves that question, it is a, you can just feel the brain grind to start and then it happens. Oh, look at things differently. But when we do, it creates those positive endorphins and it neutralizes how bad the thing we were originally looking at really is. Yeah. You know, what is going right literally kind of helps right the ship and it balances the emotions and it neutralizes the drama because we're, our brains are meant to look out for risk, look out for what's going wrong so we can fix it. There's a lot that is always going to go wrong. But if you don't stop and ask yourself what's going right, you can be way off kilter and not be able to come back from it if you don't yeah. try that. So that is my number one go-to question. What is going right? Love it. And I've been through a couple of exercises that has had so much formidable impact on reviewing a hard situation, not reliving hard situation, but reviewing that 
and looking back in a much later time, maybe, and seeing all the positive things of what did go right. And even some things that were much better in my life now because of that burden, looking at the blessing, right? And by the way, if someone really puts their head down and really takes some time to think about that, I think they'll be shocked on how big that list gets because Mm -hmm. there's a lot going right. And so I really appreciate that. You know, as I was thinking about having you on the show, Carol, I know you're a choice person and I really appreciate that. One of my favorite quotes is there are two pains in life, pain of discipline and the pain of regret. And you choose. So, (laughs) you know, here's a choice, right? This is a hard way and it's not going to be the easiest way. And it's something I should be doing right now, but I don't feel like it. And, you know, you choose that. You can choose not to do the things that you know you're supposed to, that you know your roles and responsibilities entail. And when you get fired, you regret that, (laughs) right? And you're like, oh, man, I regret not doing what I was supposed to be doing. But the pain of discipline is also pretty real. I mean, as athletes, we felt that heavily. And I don't ever recall going through hard workouts and looking back and saying, man, you know, I'm so bummed that we won the state championships. You know how much hard at work it was? I vomited one time when we were working out. You know, like I just don't remember that pain of that discipline. It was acute. It was very short term. So thinking about that today. But for Carol, thank you so much for being with us today on the Winners Find a Way. Tell them again real quick where they can find you. Website relevant-insight.com. LinkedIn, Carol with an E, C-A-R-O-L-E, Stizza, S-T-I-Z-Z-A on LinkedIn. Instagram and Facebook is Relevant Insight Coaching. Love it, Carol Stizza. Thank you so much for joining us on Winners Find a Way show every Friday, 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 9.30 a.m. Pacific. And you can join us on YouTube, LinkedIn Live, and you can find us on the podcast on all your major networks. We'll see you next time. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off your next purchase, use the code 99999. Do you want to be our next guest? Or do you have inspiring stories to share? Or do you love to inspire, support, and empower thought leaders? Feel free to send Trent a direct message on Instagram or Facebook at Leadershipity.